If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of BSN Rockies. And on today's episode, Melville Mania, we continue to discuss the incredible story, quite frankly, of... Tim Melville and what he has managed to do in his last two starts for the Colorado Rockies. I'll break down his five innings against the Atlanta Braves in a 3-1 walk-off victory courtesy of a two-run home run for Ryan McMahon in the bottom of the ninth. He continues to be clutch. We'll get into all of that, of course. And we've got to talk about all of this roster movement. Herman Marquez and Raimel Tapia go on the I.L., A couple of young players coming up, the roster going through all kinds of changes. And with September call-ups just around the corner, it looks like there's going to be a lot more turnaround and and change in the roster. And we'll talk about what that might look like and, and how the Rockies might be able to use September to learn a lot about themselves moving forward. I'll talk about a few of the the candidates, some of the new faces we might all be getting a look at here in the next couple of days. And if this is a shorter one, I'm not entirely sure. We'll see if I get some questions from the Facebook Live audience. If I do, then we'll just keep it to this and I will delay an interview that I had with Chad Bettis until later, but I did want to mention that I had a really, really good conversation yesterday with Chad Bettis for about 10 minutes, and while I didn't intend for it to be 
a segment of the podcast, I really feel like it should be because most of the conversation was about the adjustments that Rockies players have to make going from Coors Field and then out onto the road. And I'm going to be writing an article about that. I think it's really interesting and I think it's a great addition to that conversation. But there were also a lot of things he said that I don't know that there was enough in and of themselves to make for articles, but I wanted all of you to hear it. I'm just going to leave it at that for now. I'm going to tease it that way. I, I want you to hear the other things that Chad Bettis has to say about his nine years with the Rockies organization, his future, and the future of the team. You're, you're all going to want to hear what Chad Bettis has to say. That may be on this one. Uh, that may be on tomorrow's podcast. But let's get into yesterday's uh, pretty strange baseball game in a lot of ways, a Monday day game that was a makeup between your Colorado Rockies and the Atlanta Braves, both teams uh, with a tough schedule coming in. Uh, honestly, the Braves a little tougher, though they've been on a tear, having won eight in a row before showing up at Coors Field yesterday. Meanwhile, the Rockies had just come off of getting swept in St. Louis and uh, losing six of seven on the road trip. So it was really, you know, two teams heading in completely opposite directions, but both coming off of games the day before. Uh, as you all know, the Rockies game got really delayed. So even though it was a day game, it was still a long, long day at the ballpark. And uh, you know, they had to get in the next day and be in in the morning for all the prep for a game that begins uh, in the early afternoon. And so I think both teams were pretty exhausted. I think neither team was especially thrilled about the placement of this game. Uh, the Braves had to fly totally out of um, the direction that they're, they're going. It was a big inconvenience for them as well, and that might help to explain a little bit of what we saw. But in general... It was another great game for Tim Melville. And Jake comes in and says, Tim is a great dude. He high-fived all the kids, handed out a few baseballs. Really easy to support. And he had a great post-game interview. Uh, I honestly thought about including that in its entirety for the podcast. But I think our guy Patrick Lyons is going to use some of it and, and write it up for you in a pretty good piece about the road that Tim Melville has gone on uh, to get to this point and, and some of what he's done since he got here. And it is an inspiring story. And you've got to be impressed with what he did. And this was you know, not seven innings of two hits and one run, against the Diamondbacks like he did in his first outing. It's, it's five innings of shutout baseball. But against a much better team, the NL East leading Atlanta Braves, whose offense features Ronald Acuna, Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman, Josh Donaldson, Dansby Swanson. Like, that's, a, that's one of the best lineups. In fact, it might be the second best lineup in the National League after the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then, of course, there's the Coors Field factor when we all know what's been going on at Coors Field, especially this year and the baseballs, the whole thing, and Coors Field in general, if it gives up runs, and this, that, and the other. I did think it was interesting. I'll note this. It was 72 degrees at the start of the game yesterday, which, by the way, was wonderful. It was an absolutely gorgeous day at the ballpark. 
Uh, but there have been a lot of these other games where it's been 93 degrees at the beginning of the game. And there were a handful of balls that were hit well. And just the way it's been going this year, most of us in the press box thought, that's getting out. This this went both ways a little bit. Off the top of my head, Rafael Ortega had one to center field that would have been a two-run shot for the Braves. Uh, Dansby Swanson had one. I thought Dom Nunez had one die on the warning track that off the bat, you know, I, th- I think in 90-degree weather that Dom Nunez first at bat, he'd have hit a home run. Sometimes that just goes to show you how big a difference even stuff like that can make. But that being said... Tim Melville, again, you can point to certain luck things, and they don't have much video on him, and they've never faced him before. But also, he threw good pitches and good spots. He mixed, he matched, he pitched like they used to all pitch in the 80s when you didn't outstuff people. It wasn't about, can I throw my fastball by you or, or totally fool you with a slider or changeup to get you to swing through it because it's just such a, a nasty pitch. And I got to say, I'm a mark for that kind of pitching as well. Like, I've got no problem pumping my fist over a 97-mile-an-hour fastball right on right up and in that gets the guy all handcuffed. And I love it. I'm, I'm right there with any Or a nasty sweeping slider away. Uh, at 91 miles an hour that a guy thinks it's a fastball and he just buckles and, and gets nothing. That's super cool too. But an OO changeup just off the outside part of the plate that the guy rolls over or a curveball in a 1-1 count that's in the strike zone but just enough away and you've pulled off a few miles an hour ahead of it so the guy does hit it but he gets nothing on it or – you can throw any pitch in any location and any count. And that's what Tim Melville was doing. And so he was beating guys with like 91 mile an hour fastballs, not because the 91 mile an hour fastball was such a nasty pitch it's because they were looking for something else. And then when he did throw it, he was typically putting it on the edges. We live in an era of stuff and mistake baseball. And a lot of hitters have fallen into a pattern of, I'll find the mistake and I'll crush it. That is a part. There's the juice baseballs, all the other stuff. But launch angle revolution has also been a part of a strategy as well, which is the pitcher's probably going to make a mistake at some point. Take Herman Marquez, for example. This is the perfect example of a guy with insane stuff. If Herman Marquez could put his quality of just stuff, like the velo and movement on his fastball, the the torque and spin rate and all that stuff on his slider, and curveball. If you could just put him where he wanted every time, nobody would ever get a hit off of Herman Marquez. People get hits off of Herman Marquez because he makes occasional, and honestly this year, too many mistakes. He'll leave a 97-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate, and that's the only pitch that the hitter was up there looking for. And a lot of times that means a double in the gap or a ball over the wall, and that's why Herman Marquez's home run rate has been a little high. But that, I mean, that's true with guys like even like Justin Verlander, who have a really nasty stuff. But that's what hitters are used to facing. Stuff guys, max effort, pitchers who are coming at you with all kinds of stuff. And at some point, they're going to make a mistake, and you got to be ready to hammer that mistake. But with Tim Melville, it's like you've got to go up there and play 19 
1950s to 1980s era baseball. You, you kind of have to look for weak stuff out away from you and just slap it over the head of the infielder or through the left side. Tr- maybe try to get it in the gap. Sure, if he does make a mistake, you ought to be able to hit it over the fence. But he's not really – this is the part where you have to give a ton of credit to Tim Melville, where it's not just about a lack of scouting reports and all this other stuff. He's just not making very many mistakes. You know, that, that inning where he walked Acuna and Albies, the pitches he was throwing were fantastic. And the ones that were out of the zone were just out of the zone, which you kind of want. Now, you don't want to walk a guy after getting ahead 0-2 in the count. But Ronald Acuna has been one of the best hitters in the National League the last couple of years. And he is dangerous, and you'd rather walk him than give up a two-run jack. But he never gave in. He kept throwing competitive pitches, but he wasn't going to give in and throw a fastball just kind of up and hope he was going to pop it up or get himself out. You know, three, two sliders away until he either laid off of it or rolled one over. He surprised Freddie Freeman with a fastball with the bases loaded on the last pitch of the game. Again, 91 miles an hour. If Fred Freeman knows that pitch is coming, if he's sitting fastball, grand slam, 4 nothing Braves. It's that simple. Tim Melville's fastball on its own is not good enough to beat one of the best hitters in the National League for several years running now. He didn't beat him with his stuff. He beat him with his brain. Him and Dom Nunez working together. The first words out of Tim Melville's mouth in postgame, Dom called a hell of a baseball game again today. People forget, like, the number one job of the catcher I'm about to transition real hard right now. So are, are we good on the Melville front? Is there anything else? Jake, I'll get to the Desi throw too. Actually, let me just include that now since we're since that absolutely helped out Melville. That was another thing he pointed out in the post game was Desmond throwing out Freddie Freeman at the plate. Uh, at first, I thought that it wasn't uh, a particularly great throw. It was a strong throw, uh, but it was arguably offline it could have been a, a, a certainly more toward the plate uh, you know dom had to dive back across his body and that almost uh, allowed freeman to be safe at the plate that said you much 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 rather err on that side because if it goes a little bit too far the other direction it's going to hit the runner and then you have no chance of getting him out or even if it's like a perfect throw right down the line that doesn't quite hit the runner but skips close to him and might be you know right in the path so that the catcher doesn't have to dive his view might be obscured and he might not be able to see the baseball so while he could have yeah moved it over a little bit where Desmond put that ball was pretty good and Nunez made a great athletic play to dive back across his body tag the guy out what a ball game from your boy do not forget the Dom Nunez factor in the Tim Melville story. And it's not just Melville. Nunez is out there calling really good baseball games. And if you look outside of like the two innings where Jeff Hoffman just couldn't hit his spots and got absolutely rocked, which has nothing to do with the catcher, look at the innings that Dom Nunez has caught and the ERAs. And the, it's like he's out there doing work. And I asked Bud Black about it after the game, and he said he's been very impressed with the way he's just had a mature, slow, steady approach, very calm, like he belongs at the big league level, even though it's only like five games he's now had in Major League Baseball. 
uh, he's caught well in all of them, and he's been competitive at the plate. I mentioned his first at-bat last night. He drives the ball to the warning track. On a hotter day, that's probably gone, and he's already got more home runs this season than the rest of the Rockies catchers combined. I don't think that's, uh, that's quite right. I'd have to look at Iannetta's numbers, but that shows you part of why Dom Nunez is so intriguing moving forward in the in the future because behind the plate he's got a very Tony Walters like profile even all the way back to having experience in the middle infield being really athletic having good quick hands uh, being able to he blocks some excellent pitches like or some I guess not necessarily excellent pitches they were in the dirt sometimes they wanted him to be but he had some excellent blocks he really smothered some balls with guys on base a couple of guys uh, times with guys at third uh, during that inning where the bases ended up uh, getting loaded Jake yeah the uh, umpire at a rough game he got hit a, a couple of times uh, he took a couple of rough shots one right off of the uh, the uh, I'll say the lower extremities I'm gonna go with that uh, but uh, Nunez in addition to calling a game remember catchers have to navigate he navigated one of the best lineups in the National League at Coors Field with a guy who tops out at 91 and we're talking about mixing and matching pitches and and when to go in and out up and down soft and hard 50 percent of that maybe not 50 I mean the the pitcher has to decide what he wants to throw but the I, I don't think he's shaken off I don't know that he shook off Dom Nunez once the 24-year-old in his fifth game of Major League Baseball navigated Freeman, Acuna, Albies, Donaldson, Swanson. Though Swanson got unlucky a couple of times. Um, but still, a hell of a job behind the plate. Then he works a walk in his second at-bat. And then he gets the go-ahead run, what could have, should have, would have been the winning run. I, I was kind of hoping for that story where it was just the battery. And Dom Nunez starts uh, the... It was the eighth, the bottom of the eighth off with a ground ball up the middle, oftentimes a single, but they were playing pretty deep. Hustle double, and he's got good athleticism. Again, like Walters, he doesn't have blow-you-away speed. It's something I always talked about when he was in the minors. People are like, why do you keep talking about the catcher's speed? I think there's one year in the minors, uh, very early on, he stopped doing this because he got to be, but he didn't totally stop stealing bases. He can steal you a couple of bases. It's going to be funny when he does that. He's just a, he's a good runner. He's a good athlete. And until his knees goes, go away from all the years of catching, and we'll see if and when that catches up to him. <laughs> Punny. Um, but for right now, he's able to do stuff like that with relative ease. He was in at second base easily and uh, scored uh, the go-ahead run when Charlie Blackman was able to get the fly ball into right field. Uh, of course, Rocky's run into some tough luck when then Blackman – you can argue back and forth. There was some argument going on in the press box about how much Charlie should have had that ball. It's 50% catch probability. Um, at the very least, I'll say this. He shouldn't have let that ball get behind him. I thought he was going to catch it. I think he could have caught it. It was weird. I think he took a good enough route and was in position to catch it, and then his glove was just too low or too far to the left. Like, he just didn't have. He just didn't reach to the right spot. It was unusual, and, and the ball got by him, which was the killer aspect of it because then with one run I'm sorry with one out and and a one run lead the runner was able to get all the way to third base and that put Diaz in a terrible position to basically just have to get strikeouts or pop-ups or if you're going to get a ground ball it's got to be right out of guy because the infield is pulled in otherwise you're giving up a run and a guy got a 
you know, a little liner, soft liner in the right field, but easy enough to to score the, the tying run. Gets the big punch out to make sure he doesn't give up the lead. And not, now, So now remember, this is where it's really important you put on your special nuanced goggles and don't just get frustrated at Jairo Diaz for not being able to close out the game and go, man, can't the Rockies just close one out? First of all, asking for a shutout at Coors Field when you've thrown Tim Melville, Wes Parsons, now Jairo Diaz, who don't forget is still a rookie. It's asking a lot, and they almost did it. And... Again, the runner at third really isn't that much of Diaz's fault. That, that ball was hit hard, but again, Blackman either should have caught it or at least made sure it didn't get behind him and kept him there for a single. And the way Diaz pitched the rest of the inning, I don't think they're going to score off of that single. But still, we, we talked about with Wade Davis or these other times where guys have blown up and, and Bud Black has brought it. Like, I can live with it if they scratch out a run against you in the bullpen. It happens. You can't be perfect. What kills me is when you give up the lead and then you give up two or three more. So we don't just have to try for the walk-off. Now we're in a spot where if we don't score, we lose, you know, with all this other stuff going on. So that Diaz was able to send the game to the bottom of the ninth with it tied is still very much a credit to the young man. And and I think you got to look at the season he's having overall as a pretty, pretty massive success for him. And then Rymack does the thing in the bottom of the ninth. I, is there more for me to say on McMahon at this point? Uh, is there anyone else that I need to sell that this young man is a major leaguer with legitimate star potential? Nolan Arenado said as much after the game last night. He said, I think he can hit 30 home runs. I think he can be. A guy who hits in the high 200s, maybe even 300 with 30 bombs. He's that kind of player and plays gold glove caliber defense. The Rockies have a potential star right here on their hands. He's been their best clutch hitter since the All-Star break. He's arguably just been their best player all around. Ryan McMahon since the All-Star break. I talked to Nolan one-on-one about him. I talked to Trevor one-on-one about him. Talked to uh, Bud Black a little bit one-on-one about Ryan McMahon. So I'm going to have a story on that coming out for you soon, though he's been featured in a number of the things we've been writing lately about the clubhouse culture, which is another thing to remember as he emerges, that he is a personality type that this team needs. And so hopefully you're a subscriber to bsndenver.com and you have gone and read the last couple of stories. Uh, Patrick Lyons covered it uh, specifically from the team trying to keep things a bit, a bit lighthearted in in these tough times and and i talk specifically about their loyalty and trust in one another and why they feel like they need to coalesce at this time even if the season has gotten a bit or completely uh, away from them hey i hope you're listening to this drinking to some breckenridge brews because that really is the best way to take in the bsn rockies podcast because it is damn good Beer. You can get yourself a vanilla porter, an oatmeal stout, most people's favorite, let's be honest, the Avalanche Amber. Uh, if you're a little bit more risque, if, if you like a little bit of pizzazz in your beer, if you don't mind trying something new, I've seen a lot of converts out there. One or two people have said, hey, that strawberry sky, not my thing. Totally get it. Totally get it. But a lot of people out there are enjoying the beer of the summer, the strawberry sky. It's just a light summer drinking beer. I, I think it's very light on the strawberry flavor. Uh, you, you can disagree if you choose, but everyone's been enjoying it. We've been having them out at Blake Street Tavern when we're having these 
watch parties. I know we got a lot more coming up. I don't think we have specific dates for them yet, but you know the schedule tells you. The the hockey season and, and the basketball season are getting ready to start, as is the football season. Uh, and so there may even be some fun combined ones, and I hope everyone can make it out to those. I'll have specific dates for you on that, but you can check out the events calendar on bsndenver.com uh, to see when we post stuff there. Before I go to break, I want to get to this question slash comment from Chase, who just says, I watched every game of this season, but lately I don't even bother. Seems like all these injuries are just the icing on this horrible season. Yeah, the injuries have just been an absolute gut punch. So there are some silver linings to it, like the Tim Melville story, right? But that's actually a perfect way for us to go into the break, because when I come back on the other side of it, I want to talk about all of the roster movement, uh, some of it obviously extraordinarily frustrating, but some of it opening up some windows here, potentially for some very interesting opportunities. As you may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right, you simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward and anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. All right, welcome back in to the BSN Rockies podcast, where the injury bug keeps on biting your Colorado Rockies. They are dropping like flies out there, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, I'm about to put some positive spin on it, but... I mean, I'll be like, look, if they were competing for something right now, there would be no positive spin on any of this. This is out of hand ridiculous. After having lost Scott Oberg, John Gray for the rest of the season, they're without David Dahl, though he's probably going to be back, and they're without Kyle Freeland, though he's probably going to be back. They've been missing those guys as well. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers was the first one to go down for the remainder of the season and he was going to be one of the most exciting players to watch in the second half whether the Rockies were in it or not like he could have taken that mantle from Ryan McMahon but that just hasn't been the case and so after all of that has already occurred and the Rockies are already at the Tim Melville West Parsons stage of doing whatever it is they're trying to do out there Hermen Marquez and Ryan Maltapia go on the 10-day IL. Now, let's begin with Marquez because uh, right arm inflammation is an awfully vague term. And 
I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that our man Marquez's arm is tired as hell. I'll just say it this way. I don't think Marquez has an injury that you have to worry about. The guy has pitched second most number of innings in the National League this year. I've talked about it on this podcast before about how long-term he needs a break. There's no reason to keep having him run at that level. You need him next year. You do still want him getting opportunities to go out there in live action and get better. He's a young player who still has elements of his game. We were talking earlier about the mistakes and how he can try to find a way to limit those and not have quite so many base hits and home runs against him. He doesn't walk very many people, but it's time to miss the barrel a little bit more often for the guy who's still in his early 20s here. But I do think that any sign that he's not 100% should rightfully be used to place him on the IL, give him some time off. If he feels good enough to pitch a couple of games at the end of the season, come back, and fair enough. But they need to do all the evaluations. Then if they decide that for his long-term health, it doesn't make sense for him to come back and pitch this year, they should shut him down. There's absolutely no reason, and, and I'm sorry fans who do just want to watch competitive baseball and like watching him pitch, so it's going to be a bummer if every fifth day he's your favorite pitcher and you don't get to see Herman Marquez. That, that, that's a bummer, but it's going to be better to get to see Herman Marquez at his best in 2020, playing in games that hopefully matter, right? And so I, I think that's a little bit what's going on here, and there are going to be some opportunities that open up for other guys to step in there and try to show that they can be a factor next season. And maybe Tim Melville is one of the go- those guys who's carving out a spot, if not in the rotation when they're entirely healthy, maybe at the very least in the bullpen a year from now. I, I, I mean, when you look at the way guys are performing, you certainly need to throw him out there as much as you can to see if the league really does just adjust or if he starts making those mistakes. Because if it just turns out that Melville, as a guy who's had a whole bunch of experience but never quite figured out at the big leagues, has had it click for him a little bit later than other guys, you don't want to just wave your hands and go, ah, it's probably a fluke and get rid of him. You want to give very serious consideration for a team that needs pitchers in a couple of spots. Would not surprise me at all to see at the at the very least him be in the conversation for uh, reliever going into 2020. And there's a number of guys in that spot. Boy, could the Rockies not have used what they got out of Wes Parsons yesterday at any number of times throughout the season. That was just a guy, he just came in, he pitched two very low drama innings, walked one guy, struck out three, very little hard contact, just low drama, two innings to bridge to the end of the game. It was like a, watching a wild, rare unicorn appear at Coors Field. It was, it was absolutely amazing, and... Again, if he can just do that a handful of times. Relievers, as we've talked about, they're the most volatile people in maybe in all of professional sports, certainly in baseball from year to year, what you're going to get out of their production. And you never know who it's going to be. And then you just got to ride the hot hand as long as you're getting what you're getting out of them. And if these guys are pitching better than what the Rockies have, they may even have to pay some big bucks to some guys to go away in favor of these other people. And I, and I don't think the Rockies would be totally against doing that. We're going to see a lot of young pitchers taking the mound for the Rockies in September 
They've got some jobs to earn. They got to go out and earn it. They can't just do it because the other guys have been bad. They need to keep doing what they've been doing. But it's going to get really interesting out there. Um, also, while we're talking relievers, before I get into the other move that was made, um, the I, I want to clarify this because I, I did it on Twitter yesterday. But I know it had been going around that a lot of people were saying Brian Shaw's option was going to vest if he made another appearance. Um, for those of you that don't know what that means. He just has a clause in his contract that if he makes a certain number of appearances over uh, 2019 and 2020, that he will get another year of $9 million added to his contract for the 2021 season. It had been misreported that if he reached 60 appearances this year, that option would vest, meaning that he would automatically get $9 million for 2021. Uh, however, uh, that is incorrect. Uh, it's 60 appearances next season or a combined 110 between 2019 and 2020. And the reason this has come up recently is because he's sitting on 59 right now this year. And so a lot of people thought one more appearance and the Rockies are stuck with him for an extra year at $9 million. But that's not the case. There's there's time here for them to decide one way or another, maybe try to move him or just not pitch him as often next season, especially if he does continue to struggle and they have other options. They can be more aware of, of making sure he doesn't hit that 110 mark or 60 appearances next year. But don't worry too much about uh, that element of it. But then the other thing that was obviously super frustrating is Ryan Maltapia going on the IL. That's not ideal for anybody. It doesn't sound like it's serious in any way, but it's frustrating because – He's one of the guys you want getting as many at-bats as possible and establishing himself positively going into 2020. You don't want him missing any time. Uh, these are the young players you're trying to get the most out of. Uh, and Bud Black even puts it in an interesting way sometimes. He'll say to expose them. Uh, and, and I think that means two different things, really. I think he means literally to expose them to the league, just like here's what it's like, here's what you have to deal with here's what the travel is like here's what the pitchers are like here's what going to each of the different stadiums is like uh, playing under the lights with triple decks like all this stuff but then there's like the literal on the field whatever your issue is whatever the hole in your game was at triple a you bring that up to the major league level and you will be exposed and that's actually a good thing like to expose your players in that way as long as you handle it correctly, as they've done with Ryan McMahon, for example, to then go have him go back to AAA, fix what was wrong, and then bring back that knowledge and experience as a much better player at the major league level. So you want to do that with guys like Daza, who's been exposed a couple of times this year, right, in both ways, and has come back, I think, right now, and is a much better ball player than he was earlier in the season. It remains to be seen whether he can be an impact at the major league level, but he's clearly better than he was earlier in the year. He had no shot. Looked like a lost sheep out there at the plate. Uh, Hampson, again, the numbers haven't been great. We were expecting, I think, a lot more out of Garrett Hampson, but he's been exposed a bit, gone back and forth to AAA a couple of times, but he's looking more and more confident at the plate. And so you want these guys to be able to finish the season strong. So it's a real bummer to not see Tapia. But his loss may end up being the gain of one Sam Hilliard. We've talked about him quite a bit. You know, going back to 
trying to remember which year he was in Grand Junction. Now uh, it was it, it was either 2014 or 2015. You, you're talking about a tall, athletic corner guy who can hit the ball with a ton of power and who runs and throws. This is a super athlete. The question's going to be the, the the only question for me now at this point after having watched him progress through the minors, never really becoming a major prospect throughout the nation because his numbers didn't super jump out at you unless you're talking about uh, you know power speed combo. I I brought this up with Ian Desmond a lot last year. Like for some reason people don't care about power speed combo anymore. Uh, it used to be talked about a lot. It's still very rare in baseball that people can do both. Uh, Trevor Story is one of the few guys who really can do both at an elite level. And Sam Hilliard has that potential. And to be an elite defender, the question is, is he going to strike out way too much? Because he strikes out a lot. He strikes out a lot in the minors. And presumably that's going to be even more in the majors. And it's possible his offensive game won't translate to the major league level or it won't right away. I don't know if he's going to be up uh, in the next couple of days or if they'll wait until September, but I would be shocked if Hilliard is not a guy they bring up and give some real consideration to. And especially look and see how he can defend out there in the corner outfield because they've got some questions about their defense moving forward. Maybe play him some at first base. He's been very good at first base. That's a total waste of an absolute cannon of an arm. He would immediately have the best arm of any outfielder in the Rockies' uh, major league. He probably has the best, I was going to say organization system. I said he already would, but I think he does. I think he's got the best arm probably in the system. And so... You want to see what this guy's got. And it's going to be a month for stuff like that. I'd be very interested in Brian Mundell and Roberto Ramos as well. Some big hitters, uh, potential options for you at first base in the future, especially if you want to continue Ryan McMahon at second base because he's been so good there defensively. And then you just figure it out with Rodgers next year, but you give him more competition if you think Mundell and, and Ramos can get it done. We've seen most of the relievers that I'm most excited to see, though Ben Bowden I think could be an all, uh, another interesting option, especially as a lefty uh, moving forward. Uh, beyond that, there, there's not a lot of guys from the minors to really be on the lookout for i don't think they're going to go crazy in september but i do think that the guys they bring up are going to play and i think that that's almost you know more important because i don't think there is a a deep well and you're not trying to replace too many guys especially positionally on your major league roster but you do want to look at some options for your future at first base uh, you want to look at a couple of outfielders and i think uh, you know sam hilliard especially with Tapia now on the shelf for a little while here, is the most exciting. I have watched Jonathan Daza since he was in Grand Junction as well, since his rookie year as a professional ball player. And I was very impressed, but I always saw a lower ceiling. He He's always been uh, what he is, a slappy contact guy. Now, in the minors, he, he really, really hit for contact, and that continued up through AAA, super high batting averages. And the defense was fantastic. His arm is really good. He's got great speed. He runs the base as well. But, you know, he never really hit for much power, which meant he was going to have to hit for really high contact. 
in order to make it work, and you can just never be too sure about those guys. And yes, I know I almost just described Rymel Tapia's profile exactly, but there was always something about his his contact tool to me was just on another level, and, and that's what kind of broke that dynamic there. But Hilliard could legitimately be a 2020 guy. He could legitimately be a 30-30 guy. He may be a 30-30 guy who bats 215 and strikes out in every other at bat, but one, that's not even that common anymore, uh, uncommon, I should say, anymore. And two, you can live with that more because it's kind of like the Dan Vogelbach batting profile, right? But he's also not a big non-athletic dude who gives you nothing like that's the great thing about Hilliard is in addition yeah he's going to strike out a lot but when he connects with the baseball it's going to go a really long way when he's running the bases he's a massive threat and then he's a really good defender in the corners and at first and so he gives you utilities in those he still gives you value in games where he goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and a line drive right at a guy he still can help you win a baseball game that day where We've seen now Charlie Blackman's not going to go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. I don't know if he's done that this year. I, I doubt it, but it's very unlikely. On the other hand, on days where he does go 0 for 4, which happens to everybody, right now Charlie Blackman's giving you no value on days he goes 0 for 4 because he's not been a plus defender and he's not been a plus base runner. That's why I think it's so interesting to start giving this kid Hilliard a look. I want to see him play a lot. I'm, I'm ready for the Sam Hilliard era. And I also think it's another example when people talk about, oh, the Rockies have a weak farm system. What they mean is they don't have a lot of highly touted prospects. But there are a lot of guys who are on the Rockies right now who weren't super highly touted prospects who have proven to have outdone their projections. Like most of the guys on the team, Carlos Estevez, go back to Charlie Blackman, was never a highly touted prospect. I don't think he was ever in the top 100. You know, Ryan McMahon was, David Dahl was, Brendan Rogers was, is. Um, but Sam Hilliard's another one of those guys. I see Charlie Blackman written all over Sam Hilliard. So, anyway, uh, cool. I, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I had more to talk about uh, than I thought, but that's good for now. We will save the Chad Bettis conversation for tomorrow's podcast. Thank you all for joining on the Facebook Live or just listening out there on the podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, podcast, Stitcher, whatever you're using. A little one-sentence review or a five-star review always helps people find us, and subscribing to bsndenver.com is the best way to support us, and make sure you don't miss out on any exclusive articles we got a lot of good stuff coming up soon with as i mentioned ryan mcmahon also some stuff with garrett hampson uh, the chad bettis piece that we've got to get written some stuff on uh, the technology that has grown in the game trying to hit the baseball we've just got so many things coming out uh, that despite what the record has been i think all of you are going to really enjoy so thank you so much for continuing to be absolutely awesome i promise you i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman and until next time, I'll see you at the ballpark. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. 
everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more.